Welcome to the Vine Conversations podcast. It is a pleasure uh, again to welcome uh, Mr. G and his wife, Mrs. G, back to the Vine Conversations podcast, and they are going to be present with us um, on the weekend of August 15th. So if you're listening to this now, that will probably be in uh, a a couple days. And I thought it'd be great just to have them um, chat a bit on our podcast about um, all things in terms of church planting among um, the unreached and engaging the unengaged and how things are going for them, what their life is like, and how they can um, help us grow at the vine in our discipleship. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. G in North Africa, welcome. So glad you guys are here. We are so happy to be here, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so you guys are on home leave. Uh, what does that mean for you guys? Why, why is that significant? Every other summer, we come back to the United States of America for a two or three months, just to recharge, connect again with the churches. We do all our medical care, our children. They do well checks and get all of our medical care stuff done. And we kind of just like spread the vision um, among the churches and the people that love us and support us, like what God has been doing the last two years and what are our hopes for the next two years. And it's just a time for us to like come back, recharge to be sent back out. Is that restful for you guys? Uh, Restful is a relative term. Uh, (laughs) It is. We learned a while ago that uh, rest can be just doing something different than you normally do. Yeah. So uh, it is restful in that it's a change of pace. Uh, I I would, instead of saying restful, I'd say rejuvenating. It is rejuvenating for us. And it's what Carrie just said. And it's also us talking to believers that we've known for a long time and hearing about their struggles and their victories and just how God has been faithful. And that, that really rejuvenates us to be around a lot of saints that we know and love and hear how God is working in their lives. Yeah. Help us understand um, how relationships in the States evolve um, the longer you're in the country where you live overseas in North Africa. Um, I would imagine that they're different now than they were whatever seven eight years ago when you guys first landed um and they evolve and change and i would imagine there's some challenges with that um i just unpack that for us like how do you guys think about those relationships and and how they evolve and change over time because of the distance can tell you from my daughter she left Last time, two years ago, she was 11, and now she's 13. And I don't know if you guys understand teen years. A lot happens between 11 and 13, or can happen. So when she got back and certain friends had moved a little quicker than her or, like, a little slower, the dis- the, the amount of dis- distance and difference between the kids was huge this time. Yeah. When you come back between 5 and 7, oh, yeah, let's still play dolls. But right. 11 13, 12 to 14, she is like blown away this time to come back and see the difference in her friends. So for yeah. our children, that's happening this time that we've never seen before. And then it was kind of explained to us one time that like, it's not just we're standing in the middle 
and we're going this direction, but our friends are also going the other direction. So we're both growing different ways. Yes. And so like there are people who have been super faithful every time we're gone for two years, like we're just continually doing Marco Polo and texting and we have that relationship continual pouring into. Yeah. And there are people that we come back, we haven't talked to in two years, but it's wonderful like to sure. catch up, hear what God has been doing in two years, their hardships and be encouraged by it. But it is a lot happens in two years. There's a lot of grief that happens. There's a lot of rejoicing, but especially this time coming back, we have just experienced a lot of grief that people have bared for the last two years that we're walking through with people now. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we were, uh, you know, as we were, we were overseas at one point right out of college. And then we came back to the States wanting to go back overseas, but knowing that we needed a, a close church family, one of the things that drew us to uh, the church that we landed at was that it was a plurality of elders. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, oh yeah, you know, this, this is going to give us stability. If there is, if we get to know this, these eight men or whatever, and we're sent out by this group of men and it has provided stability, but over the years, the makeup of that elder board and the makeup of your church and the makeup of the, right the three churches that we're connected with, the makeup of the leadership has changed almost 100%. <laughs> right, right. I mean, not 100%, but almost. Like 90%. <laughs> so uh, it has been over the years, us getting to know the new leaders and staying connected with those old leaders, but they're just in different positions of authority. And so, um, yeah, it, it's that's been a change uh, for sure. And so that, that means that each time we come back, we need to meet with and understand and know the vision of the leaders of the churches that we're a part of, and also hope that they are wanting to understand us and they are often or always. So yeah, that's been a big change. Yeah. I can see how that would be challenging. Um, yeah. Just one of the things that goes with the territory. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the sacrifices you make that God always provides for. Yeah. And um, so when you guys are, are on home leave for a few months here uh, in the States, do you find yourselves like dreaming about um, like what's next when you return, like a, like a new phase of ministry when you return? And if so, what are some of those thoughts been this summer? Mm. Yeah, every time. I'm, I'm sure it's... Uh... It might be exhausting for our team every time we come back after two years. And we're like, oh my God. Uh, we're all excited about these new things, and it can also just be energizing, hopefully, to them. Let um, me let me stop you though, real quick, because uh, yeah. I'm forgetting that there's probably people that will listen to this that don't know you guys or don't know why why you're there, or what you're doing. We have so many new people at the Vine all the time, uh, so just give maybe just quick give a high level of you guys and your team. And then what you're dreaming about for the future on your leave this summer. Okay. We've been in a small town uh, for the past eight years. It was two families for many years and a teacher. In the last two years, God has brought 10 adults now and eight kids. So we have grown significantly in people, but also in the sharing of ministry work, but also it has brought about like things that we never had to really think about, like scheduling and conflict like when you have 10 adults with 10 opinions it does create like 
more of these like things that rub against, but it's also created more opportunities for us to like do ministry together, do life together, work through these things. So our team has drastically changed in the last two years. So we are now 10 adults and eight kids living in this small town. And we're still the only workers in that town, right. but our team is just gotten bigger. Yeah. And in terms of the work that you're doing, uh, just describe that from a high level, if you could. Yeah, we're the the work we're doing is church planning work. We want to see a church planted in our city um, that will that will last until Jesus comes, and that will want to plant churches in other places too. Uh, yep. So, yeah, we want to see a, a church planted there that will be a witness to that city, and will also hopefully want to see not just their city but their region and their country reached for Christ. Yeah. So that entails evangelization, discipleship, um, teaching uh, one another's. Yeah. Uh, and you guys all have uh, like quote day jobs as well, right? Yeah. We have different day jobs because you're not allowed to have a missionary visa in our country. So you have to have another job that you're also doing um, to stay in the country. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what are you guys dreaming about for when you return? Um, you know, we have had, we've seen more fruit in the last year than we have ever seen. And it's been really exciting. And with that has come a lot of um, conflict, too, and messiness as we have really dove into people's lives, um, uh, local believers' lives and local uh, seekers' lives. Um, in February, uh, the three believers that we know covenanted together um, to, to self-identify as a church, and, and they are still meeting together. And we now have four or five seekers that are at various stages of desiring to be a part of that church, um, desiring to follow Christ and, and make him Lord of their life. So I think as I dream, I'm, I'm dreaming about how are we going to see these seekers become a part of the church? Um, where is the Lord going to provide shepherds, local shepherds. Um, just recently, uh, we were connected with a guy uh, a second time. I had given him a New Testament a few years ago, and he contacted another Christian organization in the country, and they asked him, hey, do you know any Christians in, in this city? And, uh, and he said, well, yeah, this guy, this American dude with a mustache gave me his uh, <laughs> New Testament, um, and I lost his contact. Uh, and they were like, well, we know him. We can put you back in contact with him. So back in contact with him, and he's been meeting with some of the Christians there. You know, we've been in the States, and I haven't been able to see him. Uh, but is he going to be one of the shepherds down the road? We don't know. Is he going to – does he have saving faith? We don't know. But just how do we – how do we incorporate these these people that are just on the periphery into church life? Um, how do we help our uh, our our locals 
extend trust to people on the periphery and allow them into their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. You why, asked is for, why is extending vision, but I'm, those are the questions I'm asking. Sorry. Help, help our listeners understand why extending trust could be more challenging where you are than where we are extending trust to new leaders. Yeah. I think the stakes are just so high. Um, you know, the, how are the stakes different between there and here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. Recently, there was a lady who was um, coming to our um, gatherings who said that she was a believer, said she's been a believer for a long time. But then um, one of us uh, there in, in, in our city, one of the foreigners, really offended her on accident, didn't offer her a ride. Uh, and just a big cultural faux pas, uh, didn't realize it. Gotcha. Well, she got super hurt and started um, telling all the other believers, these guys are all fakes and phonies that are that are here from the outside. Um, I think they're paying you guys to be Christians. And um, turns out that she is really closely connected to some people in the police department. And it all, we just realized, wow, we've let this lady into the flock here. She knows what time we meet. She knows all the people that are involved. All she has to do is go to the police and tell them about it. And what the police aren't going to put anybody in jail. They might kick all of us out of the country. But if it becomes known in our city that this is happening, that we're meeting together, then all of those families will put lots of pressure on the three believers to recant or they will just make their life, um, you know, a living hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh like um harder to find a job if you need a job right yeah, um, almost all jobs are found through your family connections right so one of the believers there his family has known that he's a believer for for a long time and uh and he kind of shamed his family because his faith became public in the neighborhood and so his family was just like we're completely done with you you are dead to us and they treat him like he is dead like they just don't they don't help him all so therefore he's got no relational capital in that city to find a job yeah. you know so even if he were to go to and find, try and find a job at a certain local supermarket or something and, and give him his resume when they see his name his last name then they're of course going to know oh it's these people and they might ask about they may not know that family but if they ask around they'll find out oh he's an infidel yeah he, yeah He's left the faith and his family isn't willing to put their necks out for him. Why would we give him a job? So in a, in a culture of more acute persecution where the consequences are more direct and felt in real time compared to probably what most of us experience in the United States, if you're trying to raise up new leaders, maybe indigenous leaders, um, the process to like get them trusted is just longer, right? Um, that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it is. Or the the believers just throw caution to the wind and say, we need, we need brothers and sisters so much that we're going to... It, the question is, is it foolish or not for them to allow new people into their meetings? Right. Uh, I think it's, it's kind of a wisdom thing. It's like... Right. Um, we want to be bold and we want to be okay with everybody knowing about our faith, but the consequences are so dire 
Um, like for this believing man who has a family and he can't provide for his family, right. to what degree does he allow this danger to come into um, the meetings and extend trust to somebody who may blow things up for him even more than they already have? Yeah, yeah. It's just so good for us to hear these stories of your context so that we can be praying, so that we can um, have empathy, um, so that we can uh, encourage you guys. Uh, I'm really thankful just for your honesty in these things. So, Mrs. G, anything that you are dreaming about for uh, when you return in the fall? The fall feels really heavy for me because we found out some news that one of our son has like a really severe language and reading disorder. We found that out last month at a Mm. training that they offered free testing. Oh, wow. And so we're going to have to pull him out of school in the fall, which was never on my radar. And so like, I feel like I'm not going to have time. I can't go to the gym and I can't hang out with my neighbors and I can't. Right. Cause I already do French school with two of them. And so, um, the, my kids have been in the local school through elementary. And so each year I pull, I, I first pulled out the oldest, put her in French school. And then I pulled out the second he's in French school for the first time this past year. Now the baby was supposed to stay in local school for three more years. And so as I'm thinking about this coming up year, I just feel like very, Oh, what are we going to do? How am I going to, Cause what if I have to teach him in English? And so yeah. I'm doing French school for two and English for one. Right. And so like right now, um, I just, we're getting more testing done this Saturday. Okay. So we pray for that just for more answers. Like, is it something that we're just backfilling from never having English? He's never learned in English before, or does he have like actual disabilities that we're going to discover? Gotcha. Um, that's this Saturday. And then from there, we got to start talking to people to say, what are his schooling options? So for me, as I think about the next year, like there's all these like things I want to do, but honestly, like it's all open-handed. I'm just laying on the table and saying, okay, Lord, like, I don't know what this next year holds because I don't even know what we're doing for schooling. And so I'm just very open-handed about the next year. And I'm, I don't want to be anxious about it. But I also don't want to make plans and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go on this trip. I'm going to do all right. this because, like, we don't know. So that's kind of where I am for. And also, we have um, a lot more adults on our team. And so that does spread the ministry load. And so that does help, like, me hosting at my house all the time and all of that. So right. I think that this coming at this time is a blessing because we do have more people to serve with. Does that make sense? So Yes, absolutely. Wow, that that's that's a significant thing, and that's another thing that um, that folks uh, probably don't understand is just the the challenges of the normal challenges of parenting are char- hard no matter what you know. But when you are in a context that might not have as many resources, or everything is uh, different in terms of you know cultural understandings. Um, just it's it's challenging it's challenging and so we we empathize with you guys and uh we'll be praying for your son um but it it just it raises in my mind like like just normal christianity is like if you read the bible normal christianity would seem to be i don't know what the future holds and i'm trusting the lord for that that he will provide yeah and I think um, instead of 
looking at you guys and going, man, they must be super Christians because they have to trust the Lord all the time in ways that I don't. Maybe that should at, like like stir us to ask ourselves, um, maybe they're not the weird ones. Maybe we're the weird ones because so many of us have everything that we need and we live in a comfort zone and we're not really trusting God for anything. Um, and I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty or whatever, but just knowing that the assumption of the Bible is that biblical Christianity will look like Abraham being called to step out and he doesn't know where he's going, but he's just trusting the Lord or, you know, Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. He's like, that's cool, but, uh, I'm just gonna trust the Lord with the result no matter what, or the disciples being sent out by Jesus. And he says, I want you to do a, B, C, and D. And, uh, and they don't know how that's going to happen. Um, just asking ourselves that question, like, do I trust the Lord for anything? Mm. Or is it just kind of like Christianity is my hobby? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that, if that, if that resonates with you guys at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that, um, even overseas or in America, we can hold tightly to our comforts. Like our treasures can easily become things here that we hold tightly to so that when the thing, when the waters are stirred, yep. they're like, Ugh! you know, because I think that even us overseas can like have this comfortable, okay, my, my kids go to school. I get to do this. I get to do that. And then like when it's rocked or when that's taken away and then we're like, what are we going to do? But then like we're saying, okay, the Lord is good and kind and knew that this testing was going to happen in June that we were going to find this out. And so, you know what? My year might look different, but I'm holding loosely to those comforts and to those things that I wanted for this year. Right. And pulling that and say, no, I have to be able to do this. I have to be able to do that. But it's the same for us as it is here. Like yeah. holding tightly to the comforts of this yeah. world can happen anywhere. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reflecting recently that just like Carrie's saying, whether we're here or whether we're there, it seems like Christianity in some ways is just a process of us recognizing the idols that we've been clinging to and either letting go of them, hopefully, or um, holding on more tightly to them, you know, and uh, reading in first Peter yesterday about setting our hope fully on um, that day that is to come. Like yeah. if it, it just seems like our, our whole lives are a process of that, of, of where, where are my hopes now? Where should they fully be set? And life just continues to be this, oh gosh, I'm putting so much hope into this or this or this right here, right now. And my hope should be fully on Jesus and his return and uh, the consummation of all things with him. Yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, may that be our ultimate point of orientation um, that we can trust the day-to-day craziness because there is coming a day when um, all things will be made right. Yeah. And, um, so we don't have to worry. Um, I would love to hear what you guys are learning about discipleship of locals in your context. So the, the non, the non-white people that come to your gathering, um, what are you learning about, 
their discipleship and how you're helping them um, grow in their love for the Lord? That's a good question. I think something along what we were just talking about that over the past two years, um, things that the Lord had that the Lord has given us that are good things can become too important and become idols in our life. For example, health, right. health, is a good thing. It's a good thing to pray for. Right. When it becomes all consuming, like, am I going to get sick? Should I not do this? Should I not do that? And, it, and it, the anxiety overtakes now health, having good health has become an idol in your life. So I think the last two years have shown in our hearts and in the hearts of our locals, some idols that if we weren't, put in the ringer or put in the waves would have come out. And so as we're walking through um, discipling our, our local believers and going through things, our problems are not exactly the same. Like paying the electricity bill in July was not a problem for me. Right. But we can absolutely 100% walk through and talk to them like, but you know what's been hard for me? And then like say, the Lord has put us in this situation of unknown and I struggle with this or I struggle with that. And so always bringing back to where is our eternal hope? Where is our trust? Because our problems are not the same as theirs, but our solution is always the same. Sure. And so uh, we've been discipling these women. Uh, there's a special women's meeting that meets on Thursday nights and it's been going on for a year. And it's been so beautiful to see. We've been going through these lessons that were created for this exact purpose and the longtime sister has now started teaching the new seekers these things. And I've seen how they, they are not just words, but they have taken hold of her heart and changed her. Like the things that she used to be anxious about three years ago, she can say with full confidence, like, yeah, I don't know if my brother's going to kill me, but the Lord is good. And the Lord has protected me and has shown himself faithful the past three years. And so this one sister who's been with us for several years, who has started this discipleship and now is having other women, I've seen how, how she now when she talks about it and explains it to others, that it is her own now. Yeah. So she has just grown in so much maturity and love for the, for the other sisters. Yeah. Yeah. So like, just to clarify, my brother might kill me because I'm a Christian. Yeah, exactly. She was hiding it for so long because she, she just, it was like an oppressive fear on her heart that she was like, and then now the Lord has just softened that burden and lightened it. And her family wow. life is not easy, Right. but like the anxiety and the fear that she once had, the Lord has, has lightened that burden for her. Yeah. yeah amen. Um, I think that I've just been struck anew with God's goodness and his faithfulness to his people to hold them fast, uh, despite all of the crap that, that just comes up in, in body life. Uh, so conflict happening between the believers and them reconciling multiple times, like I am, I'm just so struck and thankful that the Lord is holding these people and they're not just peace out. I'm going somewhere else. Cause this is too hard. Right. Though they have said that they would do that. They haven't. We're the only gig in town. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that's yeah. like just normal 
unfortunately, that's normal church life. I yeah. mean, read, read the epistles. Like yeah. we conflict with each other. Um, yeah, totally. And so we got to disciple people in, in that. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And not just that sin, the sin between each other, but our stupidity as foreigners and the dumb stuff that we do that offends them because we're just blind to ourselves, blind to the stuff that they're going through. And sometimes we're, we're not compassionate when we should be, when we are not picking up what they're putting down at all, right. you know? Uh, right. And that they continue to come. And uh, this, this summer we sat through a sermon where it was a non-native speaker, non-native English speaker teaching us in English, in English. And, uh, it was good. It was great content. Lord used it in my life, but I thought I'm struggling a little bit to follow him. And his English is a heck of a lot better than my Arabic is. Uh, man, God yeah. is that put a lot of patience into these um, believers to yeah. to be with us and to just be yeah to um, to go through life with us even though we don't communicate perfectly. Yeah, go ahead, Mrs. G. One cool thing that happened in the spring, there was some conflict between two of our local believers and they just could not, could not work it out. You know, talk about unity, everything. A local brother from a city two hours away who literally has his license in vocal counseling and he's just a beautiful, wonderful believer, came down and he like mediated this between them. We were there. And it was just such a picture of the gospel of a local bringing another local into reconciliation, which was extremely countercultural for them to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? What I hear you saying is this, and I won't do it again. I do forgive you. It was like mind blowing because it's so countercultural to what they're used to. But to have this other local come in and mediate this. And then there was reconciliation and completely God's grace. Like yeah. we were just blown away that he did that. And, it, and now I would say their relationship is stronger because of it. And they've seen that it does work. Like going yeah. to your brother with another person works. So right. that was really cool praise yeah. this spring. I think that's a, that's a really interesting data point that would help our people understand uh where you guys are serving as well is unpack why that is so hard in your context in your culture to do what we would say is normal repentance and and forgiveness um like like every culture has different discipleship challenges like Mm -hmm. for us it's probably comfort and money and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but the whole like sitting down with another brother Mm-hmm. And practicing repentance and forgiveness, yeah. you know, we would maybe think that should be pretty simple. Of course, it's never like simple and easy, but that's not very strange that we would have that happen, at least in my relationships. But uh, uh, paint that picture for where you guys are serving and why that's a challenge for local people. One quick thing is just literally the language. So the word for that we have in English to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to repent of these sins. These are all like really specific things. If I run into you at Target and I say, oh, I'm sorry. You're like, oh, no problem. Right. That's the only word they have. So like if you if you seriously offend someone, you say, oh, excuse me. 
But so we're actually taking words from the Bible that have been translated and we're saying, these are the words that we want to use. Because amongst themselves, if I were to say that, I, I talked to one of my um, non-believing Arabic speaking friends and she's like, no, we don't say that. That's only in the Quran. Like we would not say that to each other. Interesting. So it's actually like using words that they don't use in everyday language to express these ideas of like, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Either. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was actually talking to somebody about this recently and how in America, authenticity is such a high value for us that we want one another to like, not act like they have it all together. Like if, if you act like you have it all together and you're never showing any weakness, you're like, you're not really authentic. You're a fake, you're a phony type. Yeah. Thing. Like pretentious or something. Yeah. You're pretentious. That is not the case there. It is all about you need to keep it together in front of everybody. And anybody who shows weakness um, I brings, I could say, would bring shame on their family. If they started like saying, oh, I've done this, I've done that, then the family would be like, what are you doing, man? Like, you don't show weakness like this. So there's just a... In the culture, men especially will not admit to weaknesses or failures, um, especially in this situation was between a married man and a single divorced lady. So mm. the married man had offended the single divorced lady. And so for him to say, I did wrong, will you please forgive me? Someone with some power. I mean, it doesn't really have any because his family's disowned him and he's a Christian. But at least in that power dynamic in the in the church, he's he would be considered to have more power than her. None. Um, it was just so difficult for her or for him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that. Yeah. I mean that that should that should be um, normal Christianity. That's right. Right. You know what I mean. But um, we can't cast judgment on those folks because they have weaknesses. And so do we, we just might have different weaknesses. You yeah. Know? yeah. And the kind of the mantra is, well, it was written. So like, well, if something happens, that's bad. You don't really take ownership of it. Like, well, it was written. And so like even the verbiage, Oh, uh, Zach, I'm sorry. I knocked your vase off and broke it. They would say, Oh, the vase fell off the bookshelf and broke. Like it's, it's like something's happening outside of them. disassociated. Yeah. 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 But so I can imagine like, I mean, uh, conflict, does conflict get resolved in your culture? <laughs> like with, with people? Well, in ways that we would not say are biblical. Yeah. It, it gets resolved. So you would have somebody else in this situation. If, if you really wanted it resolved, you either wait till the once a year where everybody asks for forgiveness, and that's during, um, not during, yeah, during Ramadan. During Ramadan, in order to get points with God, there is an idea of you should ask for forgiveness people that you've done wrongs to. So you wait until that time. Okay. Or you have somebody else help you out with it. So if um, I had offended you, Zach, and you're mad at me, um, then. I might get my wife to go to you and say, Hey, Mr. G feels really bad about what he did. You know, can you, can you forgive him? 
And then you'd say, yeah, okay, it's fine. And then she would communicate, communicate back to me. And then and so, when, when I saw you, we'd just be like, yeah, everything's fine. Yeah. Then it'd be over. Um, and we would so, never talk about it though. No, no. And so it's generally not happening face to face. Yeah. Uh, if it really needs to happen, but otherwise, no, I mean, yeah, you just sweep it on the rug. Um, yeah, never deal with it again. Yeah, that that whole concept though of man, I gotta, I gotta have it all together, or at least like that. In my experience, is just it's a weight that's really heavy to bear. Yeah, and you're just carrying around this pressure all the time, mm-hmm. and the freedom that my identity is in Christ, and I got nothing to prove, lose, hide, or defend because the cross and the empty tomb yeah. are a historical reality. Uh, that's there's freedom in that. Yeah, um, totally. Totally. Do, would you would you say that maybe some of these folks that you have the privilege of discipling are starting to taste of some of that freedom of a new identity? I think that the lady that we were referring to, the one that was offended, she's totally tasting that one hundred percent. I beautiful. mean, it was clear to all of us that she was the one that was offended, but she was looking for ways to apologize to the, to the guy for things that she had done. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was t- looking at herself, trying to take the plank out of her own eye yeah, uh, and is experiencing that freedom for sure. Um, I think that the guy is just a more complicated dude. He's, he's had a lot longer of being a male in that culture and it's harder for him to do it, but he has now reconciled twice with this same lady when he was the cause of both of them. Uh, and they're both still coming around. Um, and it, it, it was really an excruciating meeting um, of, of trying to get this brother to apologize to his sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. And despite all of that, he's still around and he wants that relationship. Yeah. And he has over the past year started admitting like, yeah, I do struggle with that. And he has apologized to his own wife for yeah. things. So yeah. he, I feel like the Lord is softening his heart to these things. Yeah, It's slow, but yeah. it's a thawing of the heart. I yeah. yeah. Is, is there not, um, I mean, I'm not very familiar, you know, deep down in the details with Islam, culture of Islam. Um, does the Quran or Islam as it's practiced in where you guys live, they do they not have really a a, a category for repentance uh, to one another? I would imagine repentance with with Allah, yeah. but but the the horizontal, yeah, is that just not something that's that's normative in in a culture of Islam? Be, because of Islam, or is it just other cultural factors? I mean, I know that's a complicated question, but yeah. I'll take a stab at it. Uh, I can't speak for pure Islam as if there is such a thing, Um, but I I can speak to our context. From what I have seen, um, the Islam that is taught there or that is believed there is that intention is everything. Intention. Intention. So if I can convince myself that my intentions were good, then I'm getting points for it. So if I can somehow, like in these situations where this brother and sister were, um, where he had offended her in both situations, he wanted to spin it up. I had good intentions. I had good intentions. I had never meant. And 
in general, I think that the theology is taught that pretty much nobody has bad intentions. Okay. Everything is good intentions. Every every person is not like Christianity teaches. Every person is born with a sinful, rebellious, evil heart. Right there, it's every person is born with a weak heart that is easily tempted from the outside. Okay. So, if in relationships you believe that you have good intentions, then if somebody else is offended by you, then you just have to convince them and yourself, "I had a good intention," and I'm sorry about all that, but I had a good intention. Mm-hmm. So for us in Christianity to admit I've got sin, evil still in remaining in my heart that right. I need to repent of, that's not at all what Islam teaches. It is you are a pure being that is weak because of the fall and you're easily tempted to do wrong things, but intention is the main thing and almost nobody ever admits to having a bad intention. Yeah. Um which is different, so different than us, because I have to repent of my intentions. Yeah. And the Word of God judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Amen. Hebrews says, right? And Amen. it will show you, you got evil intentions. Right. It just isn't on their radar at all. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a significant discipleship challenge. But um, I am uh, encouraged as I'm thinking about John chapter 3 and preaching that. Um, this month that the the spirit blows where he wills and um and he awakens um yeah. with the the wind of regeneration yeah. as he wills and and god makes uh, people to be born again Amen. in every in every context Amen. you know and so these are some significant challenges but not to the lord yeah and yeah. um so i don't want anyone to hear this and think uh, that it's impossible for God to raise the spiritually dead where you live or where we live because it's not. And uh, so we can be praying for that for you guys and celebrate that God uh, by his spirit is doing that. And there's evidence of that fruit in this uh, church that's been planted with through your team and, and, and you guys and, and his efforts by, by you guys with the help of the spirit. And so, man, I'm just so encouraged to hear these, these reports and um, we should probably wrap it up here, but it's such a joy to, to, to chat with you guys. And we are really looking forward to seeing you in a, in a few days. Um, anything else you guys want to share before we, uh, before we sign off? No. Yeah. We're really looking forward to hanging out. Um, 2020 obviously didn't get to come. So we were right. disappointed that we didn't touch base with you guys then. So yeah, we're thankful we get to pop up to Madison and spend some time with you guys. Looking forward yeah, to seeing you. We really do. All right, you guys. Well, we will be in touch soon. Um, thanks again for, for such an encouraging conversation. Thank you. Yep, thanks for having us.